will fade in. The problem of American painting is a problem of subject matter. <sighs> well, you see here, what you don't understand is that was... we're trying to capture the human spirit. <laughs> I was listening to Painter's Painting uh, on the subway today, like as a what? podcast. <laughs> I really adore that movie, as you know. I've seen it literally dozens of times. It's your like comfort blankie. It is. It's my blankie, but I was listening to it on the train today because I, I, I want to get a good Barnett Newman impression. He's so distinctive in his voice. I'm not a good impressionist. I think uh-huh. if you gave it a few listens through, you might be able to nail that it. That was a decent one. That no, I, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was a little up there you know i mean i wheeze like a fucking pug anyway well the the wheezing is one thing the wheezing's just the funny that's the bit in there yeah that meal day antonio was having a lot of fun he was having some goofs yeah he was he was having some goofs but his voice is just the most incredible thing he sounds like a like a villain in like a a western you know maybe a western i was thinking more like he would be in like a i don't know like it's a wonderful life or something like Jimmy Cagney kind of talks like that. Or what's that guy's name? That's not Jimmy Cagney. James Cagney. James Cagney. Jimmy Cagney. Jimmy. Short for James. Never went by it, but okay. Yes, he did. Of course he did. Jimmy Cagney. Or is it Cagney and Lacey that I'm thinking of? I, I don't think know. we're making up a Cagney. I don't person. even think I'm talking about the It's a Wonderful Life guy. I think that's somebody else. Oh, you're talking about the actual star of the movie? Yeah. Jimmy. Anyway. The the 1940s movie voice, you know? It's not yeah, necessarily a Western thing. It's like Dastardly Do-Right. Yeah, sort of, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, those, that has like a different, I don't know, that has like a menace to it that Barney doesn't have. I mean, because they were, you know. Problem in those sp- days those was what are you going to paint, you know? He's got like this nasally thing that's just nuts, and I really yeah. enjoy listening to it. Cezanne. Those weren't apples. Those, 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 those were those were cannonballs. You see, the, the, it was war on the canvas. You got pretty close there. Yeah, that's it, actually it, not. Got to really like plug up one nose. It's, yeah, you got to have one oh, nostril. That wasn't work. bad. That wasn't bad. That was pretty close. I can do. I, I can do. I was voices. antagonistic towards those apples. That's back to nineteen forties villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like these squirrely motherfuckers in France. I don't know what they're doing in the painting, and you're like, okay, no, that yeah. see, that's too much. But it, anyway, Newman is my particular fascination. But everyone has a crazy voice in that in that movie. The narrator <laughs> the, has the a painting weird voice. That... Because I think it's because it's like New York Jews. One. I mean, no, De Kooning sounds like a fucking psychopath. Well, De Kooning has his own thing going. He's just he's, slurring through it because he's his, from he's Holland. Mushy. Yeah, and then he's got like sort of an American accent on top of it. You know, everyone. Jasper Johns sounds crazy in that. Rauschenberg he just is drunk. crazy all the time. Yeah, they all sound nuts. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, I would highly recommend everyone listen to that as a podcast if you're if you're into impressions. It's. I mean, it, it does. You know, if you close your eyes, you're like, are, are we doing bits? Is this a podcast? Like, did I stumble into a UCB show? Oh yeah, and I'm sure I've mentioned it on here before, and I alluded to it a second ago. But I swear to God, the guy that made that movie, he he did cut it for comedy. It is very funny, yeah. and it's supposed to be. I think if here's a project for you. Because I'm not going to do it. If you underscore what they're saying with some goofy sounds and some like different sound cues, think, oh, of, think of how kind of fun. think of how funny that would be. Like a soundboard, like morning radio type of oh, thing. Like hell put yeah. in a fart sound when Barney wheezes. He's talking about like after no, after, cannonballs. After and then, he <laughs> wheezes, he has to wheeze <laughs> and then fart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, are you having a heart attack? 
that would be pretty good actually i mean even inserting laugh tracks at certain moments like that's really hackneyed but that would be pretty that would funny. be great jules olitsky's like talking very seriously about like his subject matter while he's holding his dog you know and you have like an snl oh. laugh track in there <laughs> no you need someone like Boo. in the background going what the fuck is that that dog is dead man <laughs> you know like something in, you know like like the last time when I lost my shit describing, yeah. you know, that's a huge bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. It makes me want to yeah. take like the audience reactions from like a Bernie Mac special and like put them over Kenneth Nolan being a dumbass. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's all pretty good. That, that would be very fun. Remember me losing my shit and I thought it was from white chicks. That sound effect of it's a huge. It's, it's actually from Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo. Wow. Should we add that to the canon of your movies? I've never seen it. I've never seen I it. I just either. know that particular scene because it's very <laughs> funny. Um, because, yeah, background actors. Got to pay them more. Got to stay. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, okay. That's a fun project. Yeah, that is Green a and Lewis project. presents Painters Painting the Audio Tour. That would be a fun thing to do for the page. Like, if we don't feel like doing a page one week, I would rather spend Just the, do 20 minutes and yeah, do that. Just, just spend an hour editing that. That'd be kind of fun. That'd be a fun treat. Yeah. Anyways, the other night we were talking about Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, both Meg Ryan vehicles. We were? Not you and I. Oh. Me and some other friends. Oh. And it occurred to me that they're the Deep Impact and Armageddon of chick email movies. No shit. I just wanted to get that out there. Am I not breaking new ground here? No. I got a big laugh when I said that. But now you I'm bombing a bunch in of front fuck- of you yeah, you're the podcast about a audience. Bunch of heterosexuals, <laughs> weren't you? Uh, yeah. 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 No. We know. We've been done new. We know about the email movie. Stupid bitch loves daisies or some bullshit. And we're like, ma'am, he's going to destroy your business. And she's like, well, I just have my, you know, brownstone on the Upper West Side and my bookstore. It's like, bitch, you have money. You have money. You're not fighting for anything. Yeah. 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 Mm. Fair enough. I've never seen either movie, in fairness. Sleepless in Seattle is kind of boring. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what's going on with it. You got mail? Kind of funny. Okay. As a like icon of the times, you know, they're, you know, doing instant messenger chats. Let me ask you this, because I am familiar with Deep Impact and Armageddon. So I'm going to use these as parallels here. I don't know what Deep Impact is, but I do know Armageddon. Deep Impact is the forgettable one. So if you had to pick between Sleepless in Seattle and You Got Mail, you're saying Sleepless in Seattle, leave it. Yeah. Not very memorable, really, other than that it's famous for Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan. It's well because it's the you know it's the we're gonna do it again like ten years later. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And Armageddon to me is not the better movie, but it's more iconic of its time. Is that maybe true? Of I you, don't want to close my yeah. eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got the Aerosmith in there. That's all I know of it. You know Bruce Willis. It's very sappy in certain ways. It's just schlock, but mm-hmm. it's big. You know Michael Bay style. Money, money yeah. movie. Yeah. Summer money movie. Yeah. yeah. What was the question? I'm sorry. I w- Which one of the of the chick email movies is more reminiscent of that? I mean, sleep. I think people liked Sleepless in Seattle more because they're like, "Oh, it's so heartwarming." I'm like, "This is kind of twisted." Bitch is in a coma, or man's in a coma. Somebody's in a coma. I think she's in a coma. Uh huh. And they're like, "Is this my new mommy?" And it's like she's just like in bed, not really participating. I didn't in realize it. that was an element of, the, of that movie. Oh no, no, no! That's a different movie. I think it's a different The movie. Terry Schiavo story? No, there was a lot of bitches in comas and oh. doing weird stuff. He's a radio host, and she calls in, and they fall in love over radio hosting. Oh, that's what it's about. Hi, I'm sleepless in Seattle. And then oh, he like tries to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Or so it's it like, like the sister. Oh, no, the sister. 
is doing it. It's like a 90s podcast movie. He thinks it's the lady in a coma that wrote the letters or some bullshit, but then like actually Meg Ryan's like, no, I love him. Oh, okay. okay. Or the actual sister did is write the things. Is she posing as this, as this woman so could, that she can get to Tom Hanks? S- yes. I could, See, that's not I could, ethical. I could I also... Like who gives a fuck? It's, <laughs> it's, I could also be mixing this up with a, a Sandy Bullock movie where there's also some drama and some bitch in a coma. Oh, yeah. In fact, the conversation about uh, You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle came out of someone having watched the Sandra Bullock, Ryan Reynolds vehicle, The Assistant. What? Yeah, it's a new movie where a, a MILF, Sandra Bullock, is oh, yes, grooming yes, yes. Ryan Reynolds, the young assistant, even though they're probably pretty close to the same age. She's I mean, like maybe four yeah. years old, yeah. Oh, no, he's the assistant, and he has to pose as her like fiancé, and she's like, God damn it. Oh, is that the plot? I yeah, think so. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I thought you may have seen this movie. It seems up your alley. She doesn't do it for me. You know, you might have had a momentary lapse after an ill-advised fourth glass of wine and gotten tired of YouTube and no, fired no, up no. the HBO Max and Sometimes. thrown on the assistant. I <laughs> no, 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 no. If I'm if I'm getting a little too Tarantina, I'm turning on episodes of uh, Sex in the City like a normal faggot. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Just polluting my algo. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um. I was like, I don't know. I keep getting like little, sn- like they remastered it. This is why I was like, I'll rewatch it. Yeah. And I keep getting like, you know, Instagram reels of like little snippets of it. And I'm like, this show's fucked up, man. Sex in the City is yeah, fucked up. Yeah, it's crazy. Hmm. The 90s were bad. In what sense? Everybody looked terrible. True, yeah. Every, you know, like at least you could like smoke everywhere. I was like, oh, what a, what a fun treat. Um, that's kind of cool. Could you still do that in New York in the nineties? Hell yeah, dude. I know you could in Ohio, but yeah, I feel like New York and California were early to this game. Or no, it wasn't it, until the early two thousands, I guess. It was like a Giuliani, yeah. post Giuliani. Yeah, Michael Bloomberg came in there. Bloomberg said, was like, no "Listen, we sodas, need money. No more cigarettes. Yeah, get out of here. Don't be fat and stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Yeah." And I'm like, my friend, nothing has changed. Also, where where are people getting big gulps? Well, they used to be able to get them everywhere. When was the last time you saw a 7-Eleven that wasn't on Delancey? Well, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. Yeah, you're not getting fountain drink. Like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot Popeyes. of McDonald's, but there's not many of them. Yeah, just the fast food joints, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even now, like fast food, they, they give you a can. I mean, listen, I don't I don't like the idea of mandates, but I'm not missing the big gulps. So it's no skin off my back, really. Oh, I was I, never into the large sodas. I was never that into soda, even as a kid. Oh, you know, as a make, teenager, I loved it. Uh, but Surge? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, Surge was more of a little kid thing. As a teenager, it was the Baja Blast. When Baja Blast oh, hit disgusting. Taco Bell, I, I had gross. to do that. Disgusting. I had to do that all the time. Make a suicide with that and some Sprite. It was like before I was really drinking, so that was sort of my version of like a gin and tonic or a tequila soda with Sprite with a little Baja Blast as a hit in there. I guess that'd be more like a Negroni, a Baroni. I hope you never do that. (laughs) Um, People should start making alcoholic drinks with uh, 90s sodas as a kind of like millennial nostalgic revival. If that hasn't already happened, that's a missed opportunity, and it's my idea, so don't steal it. What do you want to do? I want to make signature cocktails with 90s sodas. So, like, get some discontinued Surge and make, like, some sort of vodka Red Bull thing, but with Surge instead. Or use Baja Blast and make, like, you know, a mojito with it. You know. Ew. Tech company working ass subscription eating 
bug men would love that shit. I don't think so. I don't think anyone... I don't know. Granted, like, what people enjoy nowadays is, like, there's an alarming amount of speakeasies, again, because these children weren't around for it the first time, but Mm. now it's, like, Museum of Ice Cream kind of speakeasy where you just go down a stair and then it's neon instead of, like, cool 50s bar. You know, like, they kind of got the the brief wrong. They're like, no, Mm. we want to have a ping pong table in our speakeasy. I'm like, the fuck is wrong with you? Can't you just sit in the quiet and have a, a hushed conversation? weird yeah yeah they're kind of not getting the whole vibe the vibe of speakeasy is we're having a overpriced drink in a quiet place and it's not busy but instead we're just giving a password for no reason we they just want to go to a basement party yeah they want to go back to the suburbs and have a basement party and yeah, i'm like okay. you can do that yeah you can do that that's not that hard to do not here yeah or if you're gonna do a basement party like go to a real like rave or something or go to somebody's house you know somebody's yeah. apartment i mean you could, you can have a party like that yeah, but, you know, hard. you can have parties in the condo buildings that they live in. I guess that's true, yeah. Walls are too thin. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Should have spent a little extra on the drywall and insulation in those places, but we can't do that. We got to put them up quick. Snappy, 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 snappy. Ooh, I almost snapped my fingers. Can you not do that? No. I can't do it in the classic way that people do it with the middle finger and the thumb. That never made any sense to me. But I, I can, can do the... Yeah, but even that's not the right way, and it hurts after a while. This one, you should be able to do it real loud. Middle fingy snap. Yeah, I never understood that. I can't do it. Same way, like, I don't know how people whistle doing the okay sign. My mom can whistle with her fingers like that, and it's the the loudest fucking thing you've ever heard in your life. Oh, did you get in trouble a lot getting whistled at? No, she didn't use it as a punishment thing. It was Mm -hmm. like, it was very rare that it would come out. It was mostly a sporting event thing in my memory. Oh. Like, I remember it from the stands of my baseball games, or like in the rare occasion that we'd be at like an Indians game, like a major league sporting event, she'd break mm-hmm. it out, and man, it was deafening. Hmm. The person to the front and to the sides of her, Dead. you know, it was like they were at Hiroshima. <laughs> it was just, blown off. It was done. You were done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, man. I was reminiscing today with my mom because the the subject of the raccoon we had as a child has been coming up quite frequently for some reason. Your pet raccoon? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know about the pet raccoon, oh, yes. right? I don't think I've ever told about it on the podcast, though. I feel like you have. Have I? No. Well, then perhaps maybe like the an early know. early tens episode. Yeah, maybe, maybe way way back then. But yeah, I got a lot of really cute pictures of the raccoon today because I asked my mom what was its name because I could never remember its name. Its name was Rowdy, <laughs> Rowdy the raccoon. But yeah, I got all these adorable uh, photos and videos. I had forgotten that Rowdy loved stuffed animals. So it had this like collection of stuffed animals that would like take up in the tree with it, you know. It lived outside. Yeah, it had to live outside. My mom was very proud of this. She told me this today. She was very proud because that was a success story in the sense that Rowdy was um, friendly but not entirely domesticated. Because what had happened was the the raccoon, its family had somehow died. I don't know if a neighbor trapped it or if it got hit by a car or whatever. So it was a lonely baby. Uh-huh. And it wandered up to my family during a birthday party, like when a raccoon shouldn't be out doing that, right, right, you know, right. at a very inopportune time. And it was clearly very vulnerable. Yeah. So my mom made it her mission to kind of like raise the thing, but she didn't want it to be a pet. She wanted it to be able to be able to fend for itself. Eventually. Uh-huh. So Rowdy was a success story in that sense. Like she managed to, you know, teach it to feed and things and like play nice with humans without becoming too reliant on us so eventually he could it would go leave back the to the wild which it did in in my telling of the story i learned that i've been telling this wrong the whole time i thought i that thought it lived in a cage in the garage 
No, I mean, it would come in and out of the garage, but it lived outside. It lived in a tree. Um, huh. And it never came in the house. But, you know, I have a picture of it, like, crawling on my mom. It crawled on me. It was, like, you know, it was friendly with people up until a certain point. I think, like, with an animal like that, you can't really ever domesticate it anyway. No, it's like I have to go live in the garbage now. Yeah, so it gets to a certain size, and it sort of loses interest in the peoples now. Or it just reacts, you know, strangely. Yeah. So I had always thought that what happened to Rowdy was that when we moved out of that house that it was just kind of like left there not able to fend for itself hmm. like living up in its tree reliant on being fed by humans but apparently right. that's not what happened apparently it's at some point along the way there was a pack of three or four raccoons that it kind of got absorbed into oh when it became an adult it found and, a family yeah and it roamed around with them and my mom actually has pictures of that pack of raccoons at night in the back you know digging through bird feeders and stuff so Hopefully Rowdy had a happy ending. Actually, didn't find eh, kind of joined a gang. Till, yeah, probably like, like all wayward youth. It did. Wow. You know, and then huh. it was probably like eaten by a hawk or something. I have no idea. Do, hawks Do raccoons? Have... I don't know. Probably not. I think no. they're too big and wily. They're too big. I don't think they have really any natural predators other than humans. Yeah, Volvo SUVs. Yeah, some kid with a BB gun. You know, traps. I don't think you're gonna kill it with a BB gun though. They got fat asses. Even if you hit it with a BB gun, you're like, Ugh. no, it'd be all right. It'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. there's a really cute video. I, I guess my mom had taken to feeding Rowdy at night at a certain point because the neighbors had taken notice. And mm. the neighbors always considered raccoons a nuisance because obviously they go through your trash and your bird mm-hmm. feeders. So she had to like clandestinely feed this thing at night. But there's a great like nighttime video vi- via flashlight that, you know, if I was a lesser artist, I would like incorporate it into some collage video. You know, it's like a lo-fi early 2000s flashlight video of like a raccoon, but it's snuggling with a um, stuffed raccoon. So it's this kind of meta video of like Rowdy and the fake raccoon. And it's kind of a fake raccoon. It's a little dark. Yeah, this is is dark. I don't don't know if I like this. Eating its slop out of its little bowl in the middle of the night. The sounds of the suburbs were incredible, too. Oh, because it's like crickets and shit? Yeah, my mom and I were reminiscing about, wow, it was like so wild in the suburbs. It was so loud. Mm. Night sounds in the summertime were like a big thing. I miss that. We don't really have that here. Well, we don't have like cicadas and shit like that. Those loud fuckers. What we have are just, you know, homeless people screaming or cars and ambulance sirens. That's, you know, the dulcet tones of Brooklyn at night. Yeah. I mean, it's better than... So I was walking around, you know... Flatiron the other day at like eight o'clock because you get stuck underground under Broadway Lafayette for 45 minutes for no good goddamn reason. So you're like, okay, so dinner is delayed. I'm walking around, no people walking around, stores shuttered, not a, not a car on the street. I was Th- like, this was what time? Eight at Broadway Lafayette on a weekday? No, Fifth Avenue between like 14th and 23rd. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Really creepy and quiet. Like, creepy quiet. Is that the zone that got really hammered during the riots in 2020? No. Are you sure? Mm, maybe, I don't know. I thought that there was a zone somewhere in that neighborhood, like Fifth Avenue, I that mean, got real tore up and maybe Soho nobody got, ever moved back. Soho got tore the fuck up. Okay. But, like, Fifth Avenue, I'm like, what? It was a little creepy. I was like, oh, like, you know, I used to work over there. And it, it, you know, even at, like... The evening time, you'd leave work at like 10, 11, and you're like, oh, there's still people out and about. It's not creepy. Like Union Square filled with people. Empty. Hmm. 
Yeah, it's really odd anywhere in New York to have that kind of emptiness. I mean, even Midtown at night, there's like stuff going on. Yeah. At least a little bit of activity, even if all the buildings are closed or whatever. Somebody's going to the ATM or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Walking over to Times Square. Like teenagers like smoking pot and skateboarding in the park. Yeah. Normal. Exactly. exactly. Nothing. Weird. Yeah, that's that's eerie. Yeah, I was like, did something happen while we were underground where people take in? Like, what's mm. going on? Yeah. A little creepy. Like, in the restaurant, I was like, it's nine o'clock. We're at last call. You, you got to tell us if we want anything else. I'm like, what? You know, there was an article about that recently, how the pandemic times have kind yeah. of made all the restaurants start closing at like 10 yes. or 9. That's bullshit, man. Yeah, it's in the, it's the eater at large for Grub Street. Wrote a thing about like uh, 9, 9 p.m. is the new midnight yeah. in Manhattan. And I was like, this sucks. That does suck. I mean, I feel like the last reservation used to be at like 10, 10, 15, you know? Yeah, you can get them until like 11. And the restaurant would like close, close maybe around 11.30 or midnight. But if you were in there, they're like, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You could matter. just hang yeah. out in there. And I'm sure their bars were sometimes even open till when bars close. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's not that way anymore. It's true. At, well, everything north of Houston closes. And then you just, downtown is back being downtown, being open and rowdy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the sleepy old people part is like sleepy and old. And I'm like, God damn it. Well, that's not the worst thing in the world, I guess. But, it, you know. As someone who is sleepy and old, I like to go to the sleepy old places later at night. Because it's fun. Yeah. No fun. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. That's too bad. <sighs> hey, have you huh. been running into the young uh, Catholics on the subway that ask people to go to church with them? How often do I ride the subway? Not a lot. That's true. Mm-hmm. You're a car guy. Yeah. I forgot. But this has been happening to me kind of a lot. Three times in the last maybe two months. You look like you have that heathen face. No, 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 but it's not just me. When they get on, I've seen, they always work in pairs. I'm curious whether you know anything about this, because at first I thought they were... They're not Catholic. They are. No. Yes, they are. At first I thought they were like Jehovah's Witnesses or something. Hmm. Or, you know, Mormons or just like some like... Catholics, not evangelical. It's not what we do. Small, like bizarre sects of Christianity, but they're not. Hmm. They're Catholic people. Are you sure? I, they might be like Eastern Orthodox. I don't know. Mm. They're de- but they are they are not like they're not weird Christian. They, they look normal or not? Yeah, and they, they look pretty normal. They're dressed mm. pretty normal, but very traditional. What I suspect is going on, because first of all, they go around to the entire subway car. They ask literally every person, Jesus Christ, whether they whether or not they want to go to church. They nothing will stop them. You could be a homeless guy. Yeah, freaking that's not. Out. Yeah, that's not. It's weird. It's not cat. It's not the Catholic. Way. Maybe it's not Catholics. I, but my theory was this. I think because they're always young people too. Mm-hmm. They're always like in their twenties mm. or like maybe late teens. They're very young. The the three times I've seen it happen, these couples of people, and they're always segregated by gender. I've seen one couple of two women. I've seen two couples of two guys. And I think that they're trad cats. No. I suspect that they are. Again, they're, then they're doing Catholic, Catholicism wrong. I so know, sorry. but I think they're doing it wrong. Like, it, it started to give me... Th- that seems... No, no, no. That's giving, like... What's the Mormons? Mormons. Yeah, it gives it's, that vibe. It's a little Latter-day. Latter-days do that. They will do that. But, you know, if they're not like Mormon Mormon, but they're like Seventh-day Adventists, they will do that. Maybe they're Seventh-day Adventists. If that they're might kind of traditionally dressed, yeah, that's Adventism. Because two of the times they've had the same patch on, but the patch didn't give me any information. Mm-hmm. It actually looked, What did the patch look like? It had like... Uh, I hesitate to say this, but it had like an iron cross on it. It almost looked like an SS patch, but it's not. 
It's not that. And nor is it like the Fleur de Lis, but it's like sort of somewhere in between a Fleur de Lis and like an Iron Cross. <sighs> Hold on. And then there was a Latin phrase on it that I didn't understand. That made me assume Catholic. That we don't. But I, I don't know. I've seen that twice now. And I just thought maybe this was like Gen Z, like, you know, trad caths, like taking it offline and trying to like do this in the real world. Somehow. It didn't look like that. No. Mm-hmm. Was that the Seventh-day Adventist logo? Mm-hmm. No, I kind of know. That's very similar to the Methodist one, actually. But no, no, it wasn't that. It was a little more traditional looking than that. It was way more like, mm. I, I'm suspecting Eastern Orthodox now, because they have weird habits. Orthodox. Is it the Eastern Orthodox cross, maybe, perhaps? Maybe. I need to see it to confirm. Does it have this weird little thing? No, it doesn't have the weird thing. See, I know that, too. The little St. Peter... Tip. No, no, it was much more like regal than that. You know what I mean? Like, like a military insignia. Or People, uh, mm. or like royal. It, it didn't. It looked Catholic. It didn't look. But we don't. We don't do that. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But here's the thing. Regardless of. But why are they young? And why are they young in church? I, I couldn't figure it out. But it did start to give me weird, like end times vibes today. Oh. I started like dwelling on it. Cause the guy, you know, the guy came up to me and I thought he was a homeless guy. And I was like, uh, no, no. You know, headphone back in. But I started thinking about it and I was like, this feels end timesy because it's like in a movie when like society is kind of decaying and like people start taking to like cultish religions, you know? Yeah. Like, let's say it's an asteroid movie and then all of a sudden there's worshipers of the asteroid and stuff. Yeah. I'm starting to feel like religious revival kind of reminds me of that. Like, Young people, wouldn't. I don't care if it's even LDS or something weird, like, people that young being that sincere about their religion kind of bugs me. It's also, well, it's also like, a lot of young people are very like that. You know, have you ever met, like, a youth pastor? Sure. I mean, it's just like working for Bernie Sanders or something. Yeah. Like, like, people get involved in these causes and they go into them whole hog, especially yeah. when they're young. But there's something about religion Why being... Why they're doing it here... Don't get it. In New York, it's particularly odd, I think. And, and like, maybe it's just because millennials, we bridge the Gen X, like, you know, ironic nihilism. How are they that different, though, from, like, the young Jewish dudes going, you Jewish, you want to come to... You want to come to they're Shul not, and you're like, but no. They're not, but the young Orthodox are, like, Hasid guys that do that. They have the funny costumes on. They Their culture is not a costume. I, I know, but they look the part. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you guys have been living in the 16th century since then. Yeah. Everybody kind of gets it. It's like an Amish person or something. It's like, it's so uh, outside the Overton window that you just kind of accept it. But seeing, like, pretty average-looking people that you could... Also see doing like ketamine. It's weird. Were they Scientologists? They give a funny vibe. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe like, maybe it's different for younger Gen Z people or something. But like, I'm very open to all sorts of ideas. I'm fine with spirituality and religion. I even like talking about those things and like looking into those things. But I just have a native like instinctual reaction to religious sincerity. That's like, what the fuck? Sucker. It's like so uncool to me that I can't handle it with these kids. And it it gave me an eerie vibe. It makes me weirded out, kind well, of. I feel like the next time... No, it's it's because it's around Christmas and people can get suckered into it and they know that people are easy marks because it's very easy for you know people to feel guilty around this time and be like, I guess, because there's so many of like the me's of the world are like, sure, I'll go to a church, whatever. Yeah. You know, when you're home and you're like... What we have to go? 
Fine. How, is it a long one? Is it the short the, the short guy? Okay, great. We're good. If I the, mean, if the forty five minute motherfucker is there, I won't go. If it's the twenty six minute man, sign me up. Let's yeah. let's get that Jesus and get the fuck out. Yeah. The other interesting thing about it to me of note was that the people that do engage with them sincerely are often uh, middle-aged black and Latino people. Well, yeah. They're almost always like very welcoming of this message and we'll talk to them for a second and tell them very proudly that they always go to church and, you know. Right. That happens to every like fifth person. Yeah. You know. A lot of, you know, just a lot of working class people. It's just the trains I'm on. It's There's not a lot of like working class white people. It's, it's mm, yeah. like... tech people and me and you know yeah all of the minorities that support them (laughs) right (laughs) in this economy you know what i mean Mm. but it's just weird it creeps me out i have to admit that it's creepy and i'm thinking about this very actively because you know i just i went and did a studio visit with ulrika Mm -hmm. i I think it was earlier this week or last week i'm losing track of time um but of course you know i like to talk about things like that with ulrika and i've been talking about things like that with re because re is very uh, like staunchly against institutional religion, like in a way that reminds me of like Christopher Hitchens or something, where no. it's like kind of extreme. Hmm. Where she's not like closed off to those ideas writ large, but it's like in those forms, fuck that, oh. like real hard, you know. Eh. And so I, it's been on. Who my... doesn't love an old church? Come on. Well, she, she of course she would love an old church, but it's not that. It's more just like if you're proselytizing for an institutional religion, like yeah, like you said, you're a sucker. That's ridiculous i mean and i always am a little critical of that but now my instinctual reaction to these kids is making me second guess i mean myself you, you never really like, did uh, like hard religion you no did, which is why i have one, a laissez-faire you know? attitude yeah. towards it because i'm not scarred by any of it oh I, yeah it, it was either kind of like fun to me or boring i never had right. a negative experience oh yeah you don't really have guilt no yeah 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 it's not not even really you can kind of work your way out of like mm. no i mean i think catholicism really fucks people up it really does yeah you can do a little bit i mean it, mm. not if you start kicking against the perks at a young age it's when you know you have to deal with it when you're older that people like lose their shit when they're like in their 40s and they're like what the fuck am i doing yeah you know that gets into it but like mm. If you sign the waiver on giving a shit, like when you were 16, you're like, well, at least I know all the things. Like, that's the one thing. It's like learning a mythology. Totally. Like, if you're like, ooh, I studied Norse mythology or something, you can go to, like, Viking land and be oh, like, ooh, that. A big part of me <clears throat> is so envious of that. I mean, we were talking about that on our White Lotus episode a little bit. Like, um, I know some biblical things from, like, art history, sort of. Yeah. But I really miss a lot of the meat of that stuff because I can't. I just can't engage oh, yeah. with it. I don't have it memorized in the same way that I do World War Two or something. Yeah, it makes you know? reading allegories very easy. Yeah, right. Which is nice. And then when you are like, you know, allegories are a thing, like architecturally, this is why when you look at a church, you're like, oh, that's, that, you know, this, this, and this, you know, what kind of, where were we going towards the light again? You know, what kind of shit were we doing? So you, you there's so much based in it that you can kind of like, unpack it a lot faster if you're like oh right yeah, yeah they were doing that shit um yeah you know like in the methodist church that i went to um i don't even know what the ethos of methodism is i mean i, I it, in my experience it was just almost unitarian where it was just an all-encompassing like blanket just daniel day lewis hey no matter what you what method acting oh methodism. <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought that that, w- that was a There Will Be Blood reference because mm-hmm. Paul Dan is a preacher, but anyways. Mm-hmm. No. Um, in my experience, it was Unitarianism, essentially. It was basically just like, hey, do you... That's the one where anything goes, but we all like, you know... Do your parents like feel guilty about not going to church enough, but you know they still want to raise you with religion? And oh. this is the place for you, you know. Huh. And they, my pastor, for example, was like a, uh, like a trained physicist. Like his no. degree was not in theology. He was like That's he, a weird. he went to school for like astro science and then hmm. decided to do this. So they really de-emphasized all of the standard stuff. It was very much like every interpretation. They read Bible verses and stuff, of course, but it yeah. was like all the interpretive elements of that were in a, in a way secularizing it. Okay. Trying to make the appeal broad, like yeah. diminishing any literalism about magic or spirituality. It was all just metaphor. Right. Which it always is yeah, it anyway is, for yeah. a lot of people. But I do think that like for Catholics, depending, especially depending on what kind you are, you know, like in in Mexico, you're going to take that a different way. Yeah. Spiritually than you are in, you know, Seattle. Oh, of course. I mean, you know, so, <clears throat> like... You know, you could always kind of, like, see what was going on, like, in other people's houses, depending on, like, what kind of, like, sermon was going on, or the homily afterwards. Like, we chose this reading, you know, about forgiveness. I'm like, who beat their wife this week and was in the deacon's office? You know, like, or, like, who's having a problem with drink? You know, like... Interesting. Oh, is the economy bad? Like, you know, you have the thing about, like, the Beatitudes of, like, you know, if you suffer now, you know, kingdom of heaven, blah, 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 to lift people's spirits because they're, they're going to look for something. You right, know, right. and you just kind of go like, oh, okay, this is an easy fucking charade. You know, like the theater of it is, you know, when it's good, it can be good, but a lot of times it's really bad. Yeah, sure. Well, if you have a non, you know, charismatic pastor, you're like, Oof, fuck, you suck at this. Right, right. You can kind of accidentally spill a lot of private information. No, it just doesn't like do the theater and just like, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll get there. Oh, yeah. I see. Like, yeah. you got to sell it. Well, that's the thing, too, that was absent from my protestantism was that there isn't that community aspect of it there's no surveillance of the adult population of the church there is no confession nobody goes to the pastor with that kind of information like oh yeah because he's gonna diddle the kids after so like why would you tell him anything about your house well he's also like his role was not as a consultant for the community right it was just to do the theater of it to fulfill an obligation at the end of every week. Right. It, there was there was really nobody that took it seriously, including him. Yeah, you yeah. know. So like the, what you're saying is very interesting that like oh somebody was having a problem with this or that and you could kind of tell by what was being addressed. That was never present. Like it was so generalized. Like maybe well, if, if the economic conditions were bad, there would be something like that. If it's that, happening in one house, it's happening probably in others. So they're like, well, let's make sure it's not about any one person. You know, so that way people don't single be aren't singled out, but they can be like, oh, they find community, like, because then you look in the pew, like, who is it about? Who is it about? And then you know, see people like with their head in their hands or whatever the fuck. Oh, of of course, you know, but what like, oh, everybody's going through it. Oh shit! But what I'm saying is that kind of prompting was not present. Oh. Like he was just inventing whatever his sermon was going to be, cut from whole cloth from whatever he was thinking about. Yeah, that's, there was no. Yeah. Uh, there was no gesture towards anyone in the audience for any particular. Re- there was no. It didn't get spurred on that way. Right. So I think that's that's way different. Yeah, it's hmm. it's a little I don't know. I really don't know. I I don't I can't imagine why like the youth would be like, "Yeah, I want to do that though." Like that's the part that I'm like, 
did they just not grow up with it? Maybe this is this trad cath thing happening because they're like, eh, we never had to do it when we were young because we did, what, you know, what you did of the like, yeah, we went sometimes for for fun church. Well, and I think a lot of them didn't even do that. Your parents are millennials, like, or Gen Xers who didn't do it. Did, nobody, nobody's yeah. done it for a couple of generations, now. right? And to them, it's probably exotic. I think that's got to be a lot of the appeal is just that it's something they didn't experience. You know, like. Hmm. Uh, there's a Jasper Johns quote where he's like talking about growing up in South Carolina and he's like, I wanted to be an artist because I knew that that wasn't this. Like right. that was the entire impetus behind it. He didn't know what that meant or what you actually do as an artist. He just knew that wasn't this life. Yes. And I think when you're a young person, that that sentiment is just like running through your blood and that, that's going to be appealing to you. Right. And there's some part of me that thinks, man, it's sad that they're retreating to religion again. I think a lot of people yeah. would say that that's not sad. And the rational part of my brain says, don't be so judgmental. But on the other hand, I'm just like, no, I'm stuck with postmodernism and I like don't like this. Well, I think it's also the kind of thing of like, do we think that these people, because they don't, they don't have religion, but they had therapy. So they're doing the opposite thing where it's like, ooh, I had religion, but ooh, we should probably try some therapy at some point. And I'm like, yeah, nah, fuck that. Um, well, and I'm deeply skeptical of that pseudoscience. Right. Big time. That's just chiropractic, chiropractors for your brain. Not, just... Think a little bit, and you'll be okay. Right. I don't know. Um, well, and it's know. like all of these things have their time and their place. You know, like if you uh, were a war veteran and you have like long-standing PTSD because you were stepping on mines or whatever. Yeah, I'll grant you some therapy. It's probably good to like talk about that in a neutral context and like try to figure out, you know, in something a, in yeah. a deeper sense, like what you can do about this. Well, you have to. But learn if some, you're like having anxiety because you don't like your email job, I think you just need to get a hobby. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think the two things are equivalent, but people often conflate the seriousness with which therapy should be taken. Well, it's also or religion. Yeah, it's to me, it's always about coping skills, right? Right. You know, like therapy is just like in its best case scenario it's not just like couch time and you're talking and nothing happens it's like what are some coping skills to get through your you know process your anxiety in a you know useful manner or in a less self-harming manner blah, 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 whatever um and it's like well you can probably figure that out like if you think about it a little bit well and my problem has never been with getting the help that you need because if you can't come up with these coping strategies on your own which you know i can't and in certain areas you probably can't and nobody can't if you want to get help with it that's fine my conflict has always been that it has a turned into a racket that therapists have an incentive to never let you leave so they don't really dispense you advice yeah and people will claim that that's not their role but let's be honest here what are you going for if it's not to like get something concrete out of and it let's go i'm paying for a service at the end of the right. day all medical things in america are services right right so but that's also can the, i have the service that's please? also the you problem know? with it it's like getting addicted to a pharmaceutical or something it's it, it's not helping you after a certain point if you and if you're like searching for like i need to get my hit of talking right fine get a phone call some like do you not like i don't know I don't know. Well, you know, it's a it, it's it's the society like forming an entire new category of science uh, around coping with a problem, ironically, rather than trying to heal it. Yeah. You know, or just it, get over it. Most people's social anxiety, I you know, the thing is I don't really blame people for these kind of anxieties because it's like Especially if you're younger than we are and you didn't grow up in the before phone times. I right. think it's a little easier for us, frankly, because we just remember a different world. If you don't, 
and you're kind of like trapped in this matrix. I, I get getting desperate and seeking yeah. whatever, and that does include weird LDS style like religion proselytizing. Of hey, you know what? You'll probably age out of it. Yeah. Again, it's just like working for Bernie Sanders. Hey, it seems like a really good option at the time, but then clearly it's pathetic in retrospect. You know, you're holding up a mirror. Yeah. Well, because I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely being serious. Right. So it's like if you're not doing that kind of activity, you're never going to find out whether it would have worked for you or well, not, yeah. or where you agree with it or where you don't. Like you got to go through it. That's you fine. have to, you have to take the deep dive in, in investing in something that's not, you know. Yeah, and if anything, I'm being extra self-critical because I'm a arrested, developed a baby that has gone through this in his 30s. I didn't well, spend my, t- I didn't spend any useful time in my 20s. My 20s were a complete waste. There was a lot of fun in there, but there was a lot of just like, you know, needlessly tragic uh, self-pity too. Oh, yeah. You'd love that. But, it took um, a long time to like get out of that anyway. Well, I, yeah, but that's, you know, what do they say? You got to be in the rock bottoms or you have to like get rock bottomed by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> um, you have to top a bottom that looks kind of like the rock i don't know i don't know um but you know you kind of have to do something like i don't believe in like the rock bottom thing you know like where it's like i have to find jesus or whatever figure you know you can just be like hey i don't like this sure and that should be I, enough to be like yeah. but again man i think you have to concede that you know I, I think both you and i as much as we uh have our high highs and our low lows can recognize that we live pretty medium normy lives like yeah all things considered it never gets that bad or that good eh. i think that causes a lot of people anxiety but we can return to that my point was though that i think you'd have to concede that like rock bottom does exist if you're a certain type of person that takes a tremendous amount of risk in your life in in a way that's not like knowing right with what you're doing um sure you can absolutely bottom yeah you know yeah you can be smoking meth on a corner to it and you know get a ukraine deal well yeah jesus um and i and i think a lot of people end up I think a lot of people that have, quote, rock bottomed in their life, like, let's say, a severe drug addict or just somebody that's murdered somebody. I mean, just think of the worst thing you could do, right? Mm-hmm. I think the whole thing about, like, AA and, and self-help is that eventually those people realize that, it, yeah, sure, it happened, but you learn not to be defined by it. Yes. And then it almost kind of cancels out the dip because it's not really important to, like, keep track of your uh, personal stock market going up and down. It's not, like, important to, to know that. Uh, well, it's important to know that, but it's yeah, important but, not to let it limit you. Well, it's like, what are you wallowing? Right. Like, but, I, I hate, I hate the idea of wallowing. Never really like. Yeah, you have no sympathy for that. You don't do that. I don't like it. I've tried it. Like when bad, you know, quote unquote, like oh, sad or bad things happen. I'm like, mm, we can try, but maybe I'll just like get a little too Tarantina and then be like, well, I'm done. Sure, I think part of that is natural to you, but I also think part of that is just the way your life has gone. You you got to be pretty logical about decision making, right? Before a lot of other people usually do, maybe. And that's probably a combination of a bunch of things. You know, like it, it's a combination of sexual identity, being an only child, where you grew up, the amount of money that you had access to, like all of those things just. M- molded you into the person that you are and early on you realized hey if i don't like something i'm just not going to keep doing it but yeah what are we doing having a fucking pity party every day Who but gives for a, a lot of us it's not a question of like of 
do I like this or not? It's a question of I can't help it. I think what you might say is that can you really not help it? Yeah. And the answer is mostly, yeah, you can really not help it. Or it takes many years to realize, to have self-awareness and realize I'm doing this. This isn't good for me. I need to stop. Well, at a certain point, you're tough. It's, it's, I just read this thing of like, you know, it's still like a decision making thing of like, well, if you're letting something just be broken or like fucked up, you're actively choosing it at a certain point. Yeah. You know, you're not going, oh, there's nothing I can do, you know, to say like, uh, my real life example, the ceiling in my bathroom is leaking. I could go, well, there's nothing I can do. There's easily something I can do. I know why I'm choosing not to change it, but like, you know, like at a certain point, you're, your submission or like, oh, I'm helpless. It's like, no, you're choosing to be like, sure. And you know, that's an interesting observation, like material things that you are capable of changing like versus psychological things. Yeah. Because, uh, I'm realizing in the moment, I don't know how true this is broadly, but I definitely think it's true between you and I. So I'll just speak for myself. Like, I think that the, relationship between material circumstances that you can change and psychological circumstances and their changeability is inverted. I think people that are very good at uh, coping psychologically are usually a little more negligent materially. And I think people that are a little more materially like attentive are a little more negligent psychologically Hmm. because I, because I think the somehow the, the one reinforces the other side. Like, Oh, I can brush my teeth every day. I can clean up when necessary. I like to have all my stuff in my studio organized. Like that takes the place of more serious, like deep seated psychological things that are harder to fix. So the things you can control, you do right with the material stuff. Uh-huh. And then people that are pretty psychologically comfortable for the for the most part are like, yeah, there's a hole in the ceiling. I'll get to it eventually. Well, oh yeah, I no, I have a timeline for when I want it done, but you know. You know, it's just that kind of thing of like, I don't mind clutter because I'm like, is it bothering me right now? Until it's like, you want the order and you're like, clutter must die. Right. You know, it just depends on, and then it's at the whims of that. Well, and and much like, I, I think, you know, I'm kind of backtracking on what I was saying earlier about therapy stuff, but I think what, or I'm trying to steel man it rather. Like, I mm. think what people in therapy would say is that like, for me, for example, and truly, don't take this with any judgment. I don't really care, but it is something that sticks in my craw from time to time. When you leave mail on the kitchen counter and it sits there, and I move it's it over here, your mail. sometimes it's yours though too. It's mostly yours. Yeah. I will move it over here because the kitchen counter is for doing things on, mm. not for th- leaving things on. Yeah. It's a space of activity. You know, we don't have a lot of it. You mostly need all of it whenever you need it. Right. So pieces of mail there really bother me. And in my mind, I'm going like, why don't you just take the mail <laughs> and, throw and put it, it in the garbage? <laughs> That's where it's going. Yeah. But it has to make its way from there to this table to this stool and then maybe the trash eventually. Yes. To, the, to you, that doesn't bother you. Yeah. Because you're like, I'll get to it. You know, it's just not that important. But to me, I'm like, no, when you do these little things consciously every day. Yes, it's a lot of tasks, but they're all very small. Mm-hmm. It stays manageable, and it makes your life easier overall. Long way of saying, I think people in therapy would say the same thing. Yes, you're not you're not getting any dividends by doing this a couple of times. You're not even getting dividends most of the time. What you're doing is accruing knowledge that will eventually ease your pain. Huh. 
And I'm very sympathetic to that because I do think that the creation of good habits is the, really the only thing that matters. Because as your life goes on, I actually want to tie this into an article I read today about Jasper Johns hmm. that was fascinating. But as your life goes on, all you're really doing is accruing habits. Yeah. It, because your experience, you've had enough experience that things kind of aren't new anymore. Everything becomes habitual, whether it's interactions with other people uh, whether it's what you do with your wine when you open it, whether it's how you brush your teeth, you've done everything kind of for the most part that you're going to do. Setting mm-hmm. aside, you go to on a trip to Europe, of course, every once in a while, you're going to have a different experience. But even within that, you've flown on a plane before, right. you've taken a train before, you've been to a museum before. Yes, it's a different like place, but right. you kind of have done all this stuff. Done before. all that, yeah. So habit formation is the most important thing hmm. as life goes on. Yeah, but also, like, you need to know when you're being habitual and when you're being, you know, rut. Well, again, I think that, like, type A people are the example of taking it too far. Right. When the when the habitual, uh, the habituation becomes a new kind of neurosis. Yeah, that's a little much. You've gone off, like, a, a weird metaphysical trajectory. Right. D- to another unhealthy way of being. Yeah, because you do want to allow for spontaneity and stuff. You you know yeah. you you want you want your life to have some zest to it. You don't want to over determine your experience, right? Because then you're canceling your own future in a way. The future's still unknown, so the good habits just let you approach the new stuff with a frame of mind that is um, like engaged and healthy, right? And I think therapy people would say that that's what that does, <sighs> probably. Yeah, are they good at it though? Most of the time, no. So, which is why, I, which is why I think it's a, you know, basically a pseudoscience, because therapists won't frame it that way for you, and, or right. if they do, they will do it in such a roundabout way as to keep you coming back. They're carnival barkers, you know. Well, so how does this relate to Jesper Johnson? So I found a really interesting article today that was very short. I would highly recommend that you or anybody else read it. I was um, googling as I tend to do his ink on plastic drawings. Because of some stuff that I was working on in the studio, but also just because I always like to look at those and Mm. try to see if I can find one on Google I've never seen before or whatever. There's lots of them. They're my favorite artworks probably ever Mm. of his or or, or anybody else's. I think those kind of uh, sum a lot of things up for me. Mm. So today, just by happenstance, I clicked on an image of one of the newer ink on plastic drawings. I think it was a regrets one. Yeah. So from the last 10 years. And that image linked me to a PDF of, I don't know, I don't know if it's a grad student or a PhD student or whatever. It was just some academic, like JSTOR-ass website that I'd never heard of before, and I can't recall right now. And it was uh, an article uh, called Mind Matter, and it was published slightly before the retrospective. The title was out for a long time. Mind Mirror. Yeah. Right? That's what it was called, right? But this one was called Mind Matter. Right. So maybe it was related. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it was an article specifically about his ink on plastic drawings, Mm. which I had never seen before, interestingly. It just seems like a crazy oversight. Like, it seems like people would write about those, but I guess Mm. not. No. And it was specifically about his more recent stuff. So this must have come out in the last year or two, because it was all about regrets and Farley Breaks Down stuff. Right. But what it was... um. 
it's not the best article I've ever read, and it was it was very short, and it makes a lot of very obvious points. But it related his work to the work of a 19th century American philosopher, whose name is escaping me. Something Pierce. It was not a guy I'd ever heard of. Hmm. I don't think he's that famous. Um, but spoiler alert: I kind of already talked about it. What this guy, this philosopher's uh, thesis was, was that life goes. Life or the universe, it was more like a, you know, whatever, an ontological or like a metaphysical statement, was that things tend to go from being chaotic in the past to logical in the future, which is... Charles Sanders Pierce? Yes. The father of pragmatism. Pragmatism. If you don't think JJ and pragmatism, come on. I mean, I just don't know that much about it. So I'd never thought about this, but... So this guy says that in the past, things were unimaginably chaotic, and in the future, things are infinitely logical, which, in a, in a certain sense, inverts, I think, the way that most people think about the universe. I think when you think about your own life, like, just consider an individual perspective, right? Like, you can kind of order your past. Not everything about it makes sense, but there's a clear trajectory in time. Right. Things happened one to the next to the next, and you kind of narrativize it and connect it in such a way that there's a logic from your birth to where you are now. And the future is the chaotic like storm you're stepping into. You don't know whether you're going to slip on ice or whether it's going to go great. Right. I think most people think that way. But the inversion of that was very intriguing to me as an idea. And this whole thing about habit formation, this is where mm-hmm. the John's yeah. works comes comes in is this writer's contention was that what the income plastic drawings are is this like dynamic tension between um the habit of repeating an image and then the kind of like uh fluidity of the material right which is obvious um but comparing it to this philosopher was interesting and that idea that you travel through time towards a logical end not towards a chaotic one hmm and that's, that, the, that's the part I'm like a little like. Eh. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's a good description of the universe. I couldn't tell yeah. you, but I, but I do think that that's instructive when it when it comes to what you do with your time and your thought and your hands and stuff like habit formation. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking about your life. Whether or not it's true is like a separate issue from whether or not it's instructive. I right. Huh. I think I. And you know what? The other thing that occurred to me, too, this is kind of a bigger thought, but um, it basically does track with what we know about, like, physics. It tracks with entropy, right? That, like, the universe started in a, in a big bang and things get disordered. And then as time goes on, like, things uh, slowly tend towards separation. That's not like a... That's not an order in the way that we usually think about it, but like the end of everything will also be kind of orderly. It won't be chaotic. There's not a there's not another bang coming at the end of the universe. It's that everything slowly separates till it can't touch anymore. Hmm. And then there's no material. But I mean, I kind of you know I think like at the end of the day like, you know, the idea that everything kind of reaches a kind of like a more programmatic end half or something like that is a little like, yeah, of course, because you just have rhythms and expectations of what you want, but also like it doesn't have to, you know, you can, you know, take a left turn if you want, but like usually got a plan for it. 
which is then again another expectation or whatever but like i don't you know the man in the gray flannel suit doesn't really exist in the same way anymore you know or uh, like get up punch in you know have your you know make your lunch kiss the wife you know get out the, that kind of repetitive thing doesn't necessarily need to be you know as you age do you want and need it because the organism you are trapped in requires that otherwise like things are bad yeah probably you know you need a certain kind of regularity otherwise you're like my back hurts or you know what's going on like you need certain things to be in order but like eh, a little curveball every now and then sure but uh again i would encourage people to read this because i'm i'm going off memory and i'm like really reducing this down but i would just say that things tending towards logic or, or order is not the same thing as things being repetitive it's not the same thing as things being like boring or rote um those all have to do with the way that you're qualifying that experience later this is like a more fundamental argument than that it's not it's not really like it's not about how you feel about it right and and part of why it was connected to jasper johns is that like his whole thing is about like removing his own feelings from the artwork but um not in the sense that people tend to mean that like he's not talking about being anti-expressive what he's talking about is like maybe you can actually give shape to feelings by not forcing yourself upon them right right so like this is like and i think in life that kind of happens i I think like like a word that might actually help explain this is like it's it's an old one and then we'll use the scheme or schema you know like you know in the, back in the 60s be like oh his scheme like it, we think of it as like again circling back to dastardly like, do right like what's the plan ah, the scheme it here is working on no schema like is your like you know nine block you know axis grid of like what hits where and think this is the sandbox right Sure, you mean in the sense that like an engineer would use it as opposed to like a playwright where it has a sinister connotation. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like you know, we got to put the, the certain things on the hooks every time, right? And as long as that as long as these conditions are met, anything can go. You know, and that's a certain level of that is progr- programmatized. Why can't I say words today? It's programmatic in a certain way, but it is just like an open sandbox. But you're like, no, there still have to be certain flags in the sand for the sandbox to be a sandbox. Correct. And like, again, in the engineering sense, when somebody draws up blueprints for a house, that doesn't mean they're going to be exactly followed when they get on site and something can't be leveled because there's a rock in the ground or whatever. You change it a little bit. Or you break that rock out of the ground. Or you do something. You figure it out. Yeah. 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 Like it's... That's the Johnsian thing, though. Of like, well, I do my thing. I have my thing. I have my container, and then I fuck around with what's in the container. Right. I have, you know, this, this set of like icons. We plop them in the sandbox, smoosh them around, try them in different forms. Right. A little, a little bigger, a little smaller. Can we move? You know, this is why I don't like the, the bathtub ones with the Leo painting. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little too evident. I'm like, you're just moving the shit around, dude. Like, stop showing off. We know that you can do it. Uh, well, I was talking to Ulrika about this in her studio the other day because she did an interesting thing where she has these three different bodies of work going. And uh, one of them are essentially like photorealistic paintings. One of them are like abstract paintings that are messing with material. And then the other ones are the ones that 
if you know Ulrika, you've probably seen her post that she described as puzzles, which are the you know the the, the more, chicken wing pictures. They're the more like collagey sort of dynamic paintings that take a lot of different references and combine them in like a technically sophisticated way. There's the embroidery, there's the imagery from her spiritual practice, there's all these things going on. But I thought it was really telling that she described them as puzzles. And one of the things that I said to her that I was like, um, that I think is related to the the John's bath paintings and maybe why you don't like them so much is that like there's nothing wrong with puzzle type work. But I always find that when I'm making puzzle work, not in the moment, but in retrospect, um, it's some of the most generative stuff that I made, but also the least successful. It's like, not satisfying. Yeah. Well, because you have so many ideas going on in one thing, and you're you are just like laying out a very broad schema that doesn't add up to anything like succinct. It's like taking a shotgun to shoot pigeons. Right. You're not gonna have any pigeon left. Yeah. 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 Well, no, no, I I, I disagree a little bit in that I think you do. Th- there's just a lot of pigeons in there. It's an <laughs> imperfect metaphor. It's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> the phrase, oh, there's a lot of pigeons in there, is terrifying. Title of that. <laughs> um, there's yeah. a lot of pigeons in the, in the puzzles, right? And You sound like crazy people. I know. I know. And <laughs> later, you'll figure out which pizen- pigeons were the useful pigeons to like to like. Yeah, but you're not, you're not going after a pheasant. You know, it's just that the puzzle works are always the most satisfying to audiences because there's the most to latch onto. You know, there's a I lot guess. of narrative in there. People well, like a, those. People things. love spotting, you know, bunnies and clouds. That's exactly what it is, which means it's not good art because it's not it's, too open to the audience. That gives them too much rope. The a really good artwork, which I think a lot of Jasper Johns' successful work does, frankly, it, it maintains this sense of mystery where you know you're looking at something very specific and you just cannot figure out what it is. Yeah, you can't put your finger on it. That's not a puzzle. That's more like it, that's more like indexing a feeling somehow. Well, that's the that's the proposal of all art. Is like, can you can you name it? And it's like, no. Okay, then it, it did its job. Yeah, you, you know. shouldn't be able to. Yeah. Yeah. It should be clear but inarticulable. Yeah. Yeah. The thing you can't help but say, you know, yeah. as he says. Right. Um, yeah, so anyway, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting that somebody was writing about it at all. I was like, huh, cool. That seems like a. I had to publish this to get my, like, PhD credits or something. I, I think you know? it was that. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't well written. It seems a little half-baked. It wasn't. It was half-baked, and it wasn't well written enough to, like, be a book, obviously. It was, like, 15 pages. Oh, you know? no. So yeah. it was, like, just a thing. Hmm. Probably a student's project, honestly. Yeah. But it wasn't a bad one. And, and the idea that, like... Did you read the footnotes of what they were trying to reference, by the way? I didn't read. Oh. There was a ton of them, and I didn't yeah, read them. Yeah, I feel like... Mm, you gotta see what they were reading to come up with this shit, and then just be like, mm, maybe you misread something or not you know i don't know again i think it was probably just a smart kids project or like a phd requirement right it it doesn't seem like it was that serious you know but that being said i think the choice of subject was enough for me to get a little excited because remember when we talked about like manhattan art review wrote that really nice uh, essay about jasper johns Mm -hmm. shortly after the whitney thing came out and like i'm glad there's interest in it below the surface i'm glad that there's a phd student out there that like even if it's just a rote requirement was like this is the thing i'm interested i mean in. yeah cool. not not every like phd or master's student is writing about like the renaissance because they're trying to like find a husband in the in a different part you know like yeah but 75 percent of them are doing that. yeah but then there's still people being like this shit's weird yeah you know but this shit's weird people are kind of like always going to 
propose some interesting things. It's just a matter of like, is that going to be good? I don't know. Like, well, I wish I remembered the author's name so I could credit them because it, the, it's the type of thing that I'm like, hey, if you know, if you write anything in the future that comes out in a lengthier format, I'd check it out. Just based on that yeah. that interest and that premise, so, you know, probably not bad. Yeah, you, and if you I, fail me the second time, if you have if you write a half baked yeah. like hundred page book uh, about like technique in meaning in Jackson Pollock and it sucks, then all right. But you know, one hundred fifty pages that's a lot. About that, oh, the PhDs are usually longer. Oof. So, God, I don't know if you can. Can you find it again? Oh, totally. Yeah, oh, it was great. easy to find. Um. I mean, the other thing, read other things that the person has published, because they probably have. Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, literally found this this afternoon, oh, so okay. I, I haven't had an opportunity to look into it, but mm. I thought it was cool. I went to Strand yesterday. We can start the after show in a minute, but I'm just going to yeah. finish this thought out. Uh, Thoughts I, on the cafe on the second floor for some fucking reason? I don't know, man. Don't get I haven't started. I haven't gone in F post-cafe, because I don't want to see it. Uh, it's not intrusive. Mm-hmm. But smell is. I don't want. I want to smell books. I don't want to smell coffee. You don't smell it. You don't oh, smell. Okay. It. You don't smell it. Um, but I have to say, there the art book section was loaded with really good shit. Mm. There was a lot of like rare stuff. I was like, whoa, no one's buying this. Mm. But they've raised their prices. Well, I found nothing, and I mean nothing below fifty below the eighteen fifty price mark. That's. But oh, in the bins? But here's the thing. They I don't d- even go They the don't bins. really do the bins anymore. Yeah. Because they've realized that they're putting gold in there. Yeah, so we've, we found some treats and treasures in those. The bins yeah. still exist, but they're loaded with like auction catalog and just things that are garbage, things that are worthless. But like I found a Jules Olitsky book from the 70s, I think, that had some really weird paintings of his from the 50s that Ooh. I had never seen. Not interesting enough for me to want to buy, but had it been in the bin for like five bucks, I absolutely would have bought it. The fact that now it's twenty three dollars, yeah, that's a little. Much. I was like, this is seven pages long. You can't. You do can't this. do that. But you know that it's unfindable, right? And there was a bunch of Jasper Johns books along these lines. Um, Which ones? Uh, there was a book <laughs> called uh, Jasper Johns: The Plate and the Print. That was a book about a single print. But it had essays about the entire process, and you got to see every test proof, every hand-colored proof, every oh, plate how much? in reproduction. That one was like 25 That's not bad. But it was like really slim, you know? Yeah, so I was still. like, ah, I know you're just gouging me because it's out of print. I mean, they have the Forever Now in the outside bin for $8. Mm, well, so cause... apparently they're, they're trucking the, the cheap shit outside. Mm, yeah. Well, nobody wants that show anymore. I mean, forever. That was that was really hot. The quote from the person who posted it was like, "Ooh, the forever then." Think of that th- those people. Shit. Very good. Yeah. Okay, we can stop there. We can talk more about All it right. later. 